Father, we turn to you because we know that you have all wisdom and all knowledge and you are all powerful and everywhere at the same time. We ask that as you are here with us, you would inspire us, enlighten us, inform us as to what your will is and what faith is all about. For we know without faith it is impossible to please you and you give a measure of faith to everyone. So, Father, help us really to be discerning about what this gift is and how we can fan it, so to speak, into flames that we might do your will at all times and in all circumstances. And with your help, we will do this in Jesus' name. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. In a couple of different versions, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. That's in the NAS version. And in the New King James, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, what is faith and how do we get it? Well, the idea of faith in the Greek is a word where it's a firm foundation. It's like you set concrete and that is your faith. Everything from faith is built up as a structure. If your faith is shaky, if you are not strong in your faith, whatever is built upon that can come tumbling down. And so we want to make sure, like for instance, Jesus prayed for Peter, which I'll probably bring up here in a moment. Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail. And trying to figure out, well, what do you mean that you'd walk away from the faith? And and scripture also talks about the faith of some can be shipwrecked. What does that mean? Well, it certainly means that whatever they were hoping to do or accomplish for the Lord was wrecked. And it was no longer going forward, this particular work. Not that it can't be redeemed, but it was never going forward. And so faith is an exhibition of hope. It is a display of hope. It's a presentation of hope. You know those people that have faith because they step out. They just say, okay, let's go do this for the Lord. And you're going, what? What are you talking about? Hey, the Lord might bless. Who knows? If the Lord wants to deliver the enemies into our hands, like in the Old Testament, Jonathan and his armor bearer going down, you know, if they come, if they say, come up here, or if they say, well, come up there where you are, you remember the story, how that goes, and God answered their prayers, and they utterly wiped out the army there, it's just two of them, you know, it's a great thing because of their faith. You can say unto this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea if you have just a little bit of faith. Have you ever wanted to do that? Mount Cuyamaca. Be thou removed and cast into the sea. (laughs) You see that thing fly across San Diego and land in the ocean out there? I mean, that's the type of thing that God is talking about. You can accomplish if your faith is solid. But a lot of times we don't spend time cultivating that faith. Faith, or there is a faith to believe. Unto salvation, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. So our ability to believe in God has come through faith, the vehicle of faith, and because of that faith that God has given to us, we are able to believe. If we don't have the faith that God has given to us, and Scripture says to each man has given, been given a measure of faith, If we don't have that faith, we cannot believe. Who is able to get this faith? 
everyone. You just simply you ask. And sometimes God just delivers it without even asking. We have this faith. So faith is synonymous with belief and trust. And we have this for salvation. Faith is synonymous with belief and trust in God. It also makes us stand and it leads us to action. If somebody is not full of action concerning the Lord, their faith is weak. If they are unable, say, to witness, oh, I can't do that. I, don't, I just don't have enough. I don't think God would use me. You would be surprised who God will use. Is it not true that Scripture says, when you are weak, Christ is made strong? When you think you can't accomplish something, that's when God accomplishes the most. But we sit there and we look at our ability or our non-ability and we say, I can't do that. You know, stepping out in faith, you never know what God wants to accomplish. And so we have to walk around with the attitude as, well, if God wills, we'll do it. Now, faith is defined in the dictionary as complete trust or confidence in someone or something. That's the first definition. The second definition, I completely disagree with. It's a strong belief in God or in the doctrines of a religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. So faith is based on sheer whimsy. I just want to believe there are also fairies. Fairies are out, unicorns. You know, they're all out there. After all, there's that Irish song about unicorns. A long time ago when the earth was green, there were more kinds of animals than you ever seen. Remember that song? And the loveliest of all was the unicorn. There were green alligators and long-necked geese, humpyback camels and chimpanzees. You guys remember the song. Some of you go, what is he talking about there? But it, it, it's this idea that someone thinks that wrote this definition down, that it is a blind faith. You're just going, I Yeah, I'm going to believe this just because I want to. That is ridiculous. I'm in chapter five right now of Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Christ. I've had it on my shelf for a long time, but I decided to get the audio book. And I'm going through that. I go, man, this is such a slam dunk. This guy, this guy, Mr. Strobel, he was, uh, he graduated from Harvard University and he has a background in criminality where he became a reporter for the Chicago Tribune. And while he was at the Chicago Tribune, he would cover the mob. He would cover murders. He would understand how a uh, attorney would cross-examine the witness and how they would try to throw off the credibility of that particular witness. He's familiar with all of that, and he would write articles about these things. His wife ended up getting saved, and his wife, who was free-loving and free-moving and all of that, she comes home, she says, Lee, I, I'm a Christian. And it just blew his world apart. Like, what are you? He was a avowed atheist. And so he says, I'm going to disprove this. And I'm going to use all of my background at Harvard University and my investigative skills. And I'm going to prove this wrong. Guess what happened? He ended up becoming a Christian because he went and talked. First, he read a bunch of material. And in the material that he read, it was all the naysayers, all the people that said, ah, Christianity isn't real. There's not enough evidence. Here's the reason why. And there's so much evidence built up against it. So he read all of that. Then he went and talked to these PhDs in universities of conservative theologians. He read the liberal theologians and he went and talked to the conservative theologians. And the answers that they gave were just so solid. It's like a hundred 
tons of concrete sinking in the ocean and mooring a ship. There is no way you're going to be shaken with the evidence that is there. So the faith that we have, and I recommend that book to anybody, the faith that we have is concreted in. It is solid. It is reasonable. It is unreasonable to say, I just don't believe it. I believe there are no fairies, you know, or I believe there are fairies. It's the same type of thing where you even postulate the idea that there are fairies is the person who says there is no God. It's just ridiculous when the evidence is right there. You just have to be willing to see it, to read it. And the people who don't want to do it, you know what they're doing? They're doing this, blah, 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 blah. I don't want to hear it. I don't want you to tell me. I don't want to understand because therefore I will become accountable to the God of all creation, to the one who made all things. And so that definition, that second one, it is just wrong. They believe, those who don't believe in Christ that are atheists would say, you're completely gullible, you're naive, it's beyond credulity, this idea that you would believe that there is a God. Now, there, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> there is a faith also to perceive. What do I mean by that? There's a faith to believe and a faith to perceive. <clears throat> in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. In other words, when you have faith, a measure of faith, you're able to judge yourself as well. When you believe in God, you have to look at yourself. You go, okay, this is God and who am I? I am this individual and you have to have this humble view of yourself. It gives you a measuring stick. If you want to get a, a proper view t of yourself, just look in Scripture. What does Scripture say about you? You are a good person. You are so wonderful. And God deserves to bless you because you have done so many good things. Is that what Scripture says? No, absolutely not. Scripture says, guess what? You're a sinner and so is everyone else around you. Given the right circumstances, you would be a murderer. Given the right circumstances, you would be an adulterer. Oh, by the way, you already are. <laughs> you know, and you read scripture, you go, how great I already am those things. What do you mean if I've only broken this one law? And scripture says, if you've broken the law in one place, you are guilty of breaking the entire thing. And, you know, we, we want to parse what God says and we just want to categorize and say, well, I'm only guilty a little bit here. No, God says you are completely guilty utterly worthless in your humanity that's why we have to have the new body that's why we have to be given a new nature and by faith this will come to us if we simply go in this motorboating pattern and we never look at the stuff with examining eyes with critical thought we'll never come to the conclusion of what faith is intended to be in our lives we Oftentimes, we'll, we'll go through our Christendom, and I think this is the majority of the Christian church throughout the world. No, I shouldn't say that. I, I would say more in America. Uh, if you go to China or someplace like that, uh, Pastor Drew, he goes over to China, and he'll speak for two weeks at a time, 10, sometimes 14 hours a day to the people because they want to know. They'll say, no, keep on going, keep on going. And we're in here for 40 minutes, and it's like, is it time yet? I'm going to let my alarm go off. Oh, yeah. It's, Pastor Bill doesn't know it's time yet. And, you know, and, and around the world, people are just hungering 
for the word of God. Not that we don't hear, we do. I mean, there's lots of people that just hunger for it and they thirst for it. But a lot of times, you know, there's this complacency. It's one thing out of many things that I do. I go to church and I read information on the internet and I play on this particular craft that I take on the water and I snow ski and I skydive and I joust and you know you just list all of these different things that are on there and so there is a faith to perceive a faith to examine ourselves where we are and we think we're either more superior or better than we are or we have a lower view that I'm worthless and God doesn't love me that is also false We may be worthless, but God loves us and he gives us worth. And so we're supposed to operate by that. Now, faith, we understand in verse 3 that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen is not made out of what is visible. Now, you know, you, you start examining the universe, the solar system, everything that is out there. It is just incredible. Like, for instance... Speed of sound. The speed of sound goes about a quarter mile per second. That's how fast it goes. We have planes that fly faster than that, like the space shuttle. The space shuttle will go five miles in one second. That means if you were in the space shuttle and you were here in Lakeside, you could go to El Cajon in one second. Just one second, you could be there. Then, for instance, remember we just had this eclipse, this eclipse that was just in the sky, and they they said, this is the coronal mass, uh, uh, the coronal, I don't know what they call it, the coronal thing on the outside. It blows out into space, and if you see that, if you watch videos of that, that travels at 310 miles a second. That's pretty quick. How far is 310 miles? Well, you could probably get up to Fresno, right, going that fast. A comet that goes by, that's zipping through the, uh, not the atmosphere, but our solar system. And they just said, what, last week or the week before, there's a big one coming through. It's the biggest we've ever seen, but it's going to miss us. And it goes around the sun. That can go at 373 miles per second. That's moving. Man, that is really moving, right? But then you have the speed of light. The speed of light is 186,282 miles a second. Is that fast? That is fast. You can go around the world seven and a half times in one second. I mean, talk about the G's, right? The G-forces going around. That is really fast. But then there's what's known as a parsec. A parsec is about 3.6. How how does it go? 3.6 light years. 3.26 light years is a parsec. So if you travel... One parsec and one second, you can go 3.26 light years. But there's not only the parsec, there's the kiloparsec. The kiloparsec is 1,000 times a parsec. Then there's a megaparsec, which is 1 million times the speed of a parsec, which is 3.26 times the speed of light. Now, you start thinking on those terms and you go back to the Big Bang. How fast... Did the universe expand when God flung the stars out? Faster than that. And you go, well, that's not possible. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's not possible. If you talk to any of the theoretical physicists, 
they're, they talk in terms like it was almost instantaneous that the universe would just be blown out like that. And these are scientists. And then you start asking them questions. You say, well, what started that at the Big Bang? And you'd be surprised where they are right now. They say it goes all the way back to nothing. Well, what does the Bible say? God created everything out of nothing. But they don't go quite that far. They define nothing. They say, like Michio Kaku, you know who that guy is? He has the gray hair. He's, he's on all the shows. I really like listening to him. You know, he's really a fascinating guy. I think he, he built a nuclear reactor in his garage when he was a really young kid or something. Mom, look what I did. You know, and she goes out there and there's, you know, whiz bang. It's all going on in there. And, and well, this guy's on television. And he goes, you know what? With the big bang, it goes all the way back. And he goes, imagine a vacuum. He goes, NASA has this big vacuum, the biggest vacuum in the world. And they put stuff in there and they see how it reacts in a total vacuum. Because space is a total vacuum. He goes, you go back and there's this total vacuum space. And he goes, imagine there's nothing in there. And then he stops and he says, except energy. Now, energy is something, right? Who put the energy there? This is the first cause argument. Everything has a cause. How did you get here? There was a cause. What was it? Your parents. Everything has a cause. For every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. I mean, these are all laws in physics, right? And we're contemplating the universe by faith. We believe that the universe came to be. How did it happen? God spoke it into existence. Out of what? Out of nothing. Out of energy? No, not out of energy. Michio Kaku, he's come right up to the edge and he said, but it's energy. Why can't he say, but it's God? How much faith do you have to believe that it was energy? just as much, if not more, than it was God. And they will take this alternative view. Oh, it had to be energy. It can't be God. And so we look at the Big Bang. I agree with the Big Bang. It happened. Everything is exploding out there. The Hubble, uh, the guy who has the Hubble telescope name, uh, he decided or he figured out that every galaxy is moving away from each other galaxy. It's called the redshift that is out there in astronomy. By the way, I love astronomy. But when it comes to astronomy like that, everything is moving away from each other and you can tell it's like it just, everything was thrust out there and they're trying to figure out the time and how did the light get here that is 13 and a half billion light years away? I mean, all of that stuff, you're just going, man, I, I, I just don't understand it. So I take it by faith that it happened. Why? Because scripture tells me if you don't read the scripture you would come up with any fanciful idea of how the universe was created. Like there was a vacuum and energy was in it. And then the energy had a small explosion. Who set off the explosion? I don't know. Somebody set off the explosion if that's the case, right? I mean, come on. But they stopped. They will not go beyond. But we have an answer for all this. We have an answer, we have an answer for origins. We have an answer for morality. We have an answer for meaning. And we have an answer for destiny. All of those things that are required in life to have a stable life, we have all those answers. God has told us. Well, why should we believe what the Bible has to say? Because it has been established. By the way, did I tell you, read the case for Christ? It, the evidence is just overwhelming in there. And how does faith come to you? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So if you're in the word of God, you have faith. As you read the word of God, if you're an unbeliever, God will give you a measure of faith to believe. 
If you have that measure of faith to believe, you will be grounded. You will have a firm foundation. You will be able to put up a structure of your life and it will stand firm because it's based on Jesus Christ and the word of God. You see how that works? It's like it comes full circle. And so when we run into problems and we don't have the answers, what do you return to? Your faith. Have you ever gone to a, a, or gone into some type of trial and go, God, where are you? But immediately you say, God is everywhere. God knows what I'm going through. God understands my tribulations. God understands my failure. He understands my successes. And because of that, I'm just going to trust. We don't get easily swayed by not believing in God if our foundation is firm. So God created the entire universe out of nothing. The world would say, well, chance created it. You know that guy named Chance? Chance is nothing. I mean, there's no substance to it at all. Chance can't go in there and say, okay, I'm going to make the universe and, and think that it's just going to happen. Or by an accident. Who caused the accident? For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. The world is just scrambling for some other explanation besides God. But we have God as our standard, as our firm foundation. So this idea of evidence, you know, when we are challenged in our faith, like for instance, when somebody says, it's not reasonable to believe what you believe. Is it reasonable to believe that there's wind? Well, the answer is yes. Can you see it? No, you can't see it. Do you believe that there is gravity? Why? Because the evidence is so abundant. If you fall on your face, you know it was gravity that did that, right? You have a comment? Yes, even with gravity, scientists still haven't explained it. They have no idea why it How about that? Scientists don't even understand gravity. You know, that, and that, that's fantastic, you know, and it's a very weak force inside of the universe, and it, it's just an incredible thing. But we know it exists because why? The evidence that is there. Why do we know that God exists? Because of the evidence that is there. And what does that do for your faith? It builds it. It solidifies it because the evidence is just ubiquitous. It means it is everywhere. You can look in every single aspect and thing in life and understand that there is a God. Now going on, here we have the hall of faith. Beginning in verse 4, we have the names of the Old Testament saints mentioned in this chapter. We have Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Israel, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets. What heroes of faith were looking forward to receiving, it explains to us here. It says they were hoping to see the promises, especially regarding the heavenly country, the city that God has prepared. Now, we have not yet seen that, but God is going to bring down a heavenly city. And some amazing things done by faith are listed in this particular chapter. Uh, kingdoms were subdued. Righteousness works were accomplished. Uh, promises were obtained. Mouths of lions were stopped. Fires were quenched. The escape from the sword took place. People became valiant in battle. And they turned to armies and fought with small numbers. All of these things. Women received back their dead to life again. All of these things happened because there were people that had faith. 
and what people of faith endured. If you've never read Fox's Book of Martyrs and what they endured, it talks about the uh, Christians going into the gladiator arenas and the lions coming in and devouring them and ripping them apart or being burned at the stake. And, you know, there's some fanfare surrounding some of those who were killed, who were executed because of their faith. But they endured because of their faith. They were tortured. They were mocked. They were scourged. They were chained and imprisoned. They were stoned, sawn in two. They wondered about destitutes and destitute in mountains and in caves. They were afflicted and they were tormented. So what did these heroes of faith obtain? They obtained a good testimony. They obtained the promise of the Messiah that would come. And also that they might be made perfect together. If you finish well, if you have a a solid faith and you finish well with that, no matter what has gone on through your life, if you just say, I'm going to trust in God and he's going to work his work through me, when you get to the end, God turns to us and he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. But if you don't exercise your faith, the angel turns to you and says, all right, come on in. Instead of, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I mean, could you imagine if you have just gone all out for the Lord, when you get to heaven, the gates open, you know, and I'm, I'm giving a metaphor here. It's probably not going to be like this, but the gates open and you walk in and there are the trumpeteers, the angels, and you're walking in they're going, well done. And they're just cheering and it's just fantastic. And, you know, they get out this limousine that's about 10 miles long and they put you in it and they're clapping. Yes. And everybody's screaming and the angels are whizzing by like tuna underneath the boat. Have you ever seen those? I mean, they're just going back and forth like this. Or you can get up there and they, oh, who is it? And it's you, and you go in. Oh, yeah. Let me see if your name's here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There it is. There it is. Okay. Here's your trike. And they give you a trike. And you, you, you wheel on in, you know, and they go, oh, hey, here's your cup of coffee. Yeah. Okay. Just take a seat over there. You know, it's like you get in by the skin of your teeth. It's what Job talks about. That's how you get into heaven. Now, which do you want? Do you want the lit? The angels go, yeah. And God goes, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Go, oh, me? And he goes, yes, you. I love you so much. And you get into heaven. It's just like, great. Or you can go, is that you out there? What? Is, oh, yeah, yeah. Take a seat over there. Road 5,632,000A. Yeah, just go ahead and take a seat. Which do you want? You know, we are, we're preparing for the next life. We are not preparing for this life. It's like these people in this particular chapter. They were aliens in this world. They were looking for a new world, a new city, a new hope. And so that's completely our motivation. We take our motivations for the things in this life, whether it's finances and relationship and all that. And we've got to pay attention to that stuff. But that all becomes secondary to our forwarding, our thoughts and our attitudes and our devotions towards Christ. If we do that, we have a rich entry into heaven. If we don't, Well, red rider tricycle. Let's go on. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. And so in other words, 
God responded to Abel, calling him a righteous man. He was considered righteous. Why? Because who he believed and what was accomplished through him. He accomplished the proper sacrifice with the proper heart. Cain had a religious life, but his heart wasn't in it. If you remember, when his brother Abel brought the sacrifice, God was pleased with his sacrifice because his heart was right. Abel, or Cain's heart was not right. But here's the sacrifice. They just laid right there. It's fine. And God rejected his sacrifice. Why? Because his heart wasn't right. That, that can be like us. We have a religion. That we follow. Yeah, I got to do this. I got to go to church. You know, those people are going to arrive. I got to open up the gate. I, you know, I got to play the worship. I got to deliver the message. I got to change the baby's diapers. They shall not all sleep, but they will all be changed. <laughs> you know, that type of thing. And you, and you just go through the motions. Yeah, people want the donuts. It's all good. Let's cut them in half. They only need half a donut over here today. And, and, and it's like, I'm going through the motions, but I'm not doing anything for Christ whatsoever. I'm just trying to satisfy myself or just tolerate everybody else. That is not the way to go. We should not be like Cain. We want to be like Abel. Like, we're excited. I get to bring this offering to God. Some of us talked about that on uh, Thursday in the men's group. I get to go to church. I get so excited, you know, that I get to go to church. And there's someone, let's go to church. And they're just not expecting to have to go and maybe minister to somebody. And that's what it's all about. We have to take the word of God, stick it in our mind, transform what the flesh thinks, crucify it, nail it down, and constantly put it back down and nail it down against where the flesh dies. We don't like to do that. We like our flesh. We want to nurture our flesh. We want to take our flesh in our arm and go, yeah, it's okay right there. And God says, kill it. No, I like the flesh. And he says, kill it, crucify it. And that's what we're supposed to do. If we do that, our faith gets built because then God starts using us. If we don't have much faith, he really doesn't use us. He doesn't accomplish much for us. It's like when he went into his own hometown of Nazareth. Did he do many miracles there? No. Because they lack faith. Who are you? You're a carpenter. Isn't this not Joseph and Mary's son? They didn't believe it. Okay, he walked away because he could not do many miracles there because they, they didn't have faith in who he was. So this idea of going on here of these people, by faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. So this is a guy, he, you know, he's, he's not reading the word because he didn't have the word then, but he was a worshiper of God and he's just going, you know, God is so good. He has done so much for us. He's the creator of the universe. He's provided so much for me. I trust in him for everything. God is good. Amen. Amen. God is good. That type of thing. That's how he walked. And because of that, God said, I'm taking you before the flood. You know, he grabbed him by, he just took him. It's a, a foreshadowing of the rapture. Now, some people don't believe in the rapture. The guy in the corner over here does. He believes in the rapture. He doesn't believe much else that's right, but he believes in the rapture. We believe in the rapture. If the Lord wants to come and take us out, great, I'm ready. I've been going home practicing, putting my tennis shoes on and, you know, jumping and getting ready to go. God wants us to be expecting that he's going to come. And because of that, we're considered righteous. Our acts are influenced by the faith that God has given us, which has been built by the word of God. If we're in the word of God, we have a measure of faith to believe, not only to believe, but build that building on that firm foundation. 
Are you guys getting this? So you have to be in the word. You have to be in fellowship. You have to be devouring the apostles' doctrine. You have to be involved in prayer and fellowship. All of those things are necessary. And if you do and you crucify the flesh, your spirit will rise and God will consider you righteous and rich will be your entry into kingdom, into the kingdom. In verse six, he says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So if we don't seek to build our faith, are we pleasing to God? Well, if you follow the curve to the person that has no faith, no. If you are employed somewhere and there are other employees. What do you think about the employee that is really slack in their job? Don't you say, I'm so blessed by them. No, usually it's a thorn in your side, right? And, and you have to decide, are you going to help them or are you going to let them fall on their own? Which one are you going to do? Are you going to tell the boss, you know, boss, I'd really watch out for this. This is going to be a problem there. Do you not say anything? What do you say? You usually end up despising to some degree, whether small or big, the person who is lazy, the person who just won't get with the program. You know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, oxen being equally yoked with a donkey. If you start to pull one way or the other, you know, the person that is on the plow is going to be awful upset. Like, get in line, you dumb donkey you know well, i can't pull as hard as the oxen that's over and it just becomes a mess a frustrating mess that is in front of you if all christians in any one of the christian faith groups like calvary chapel or whatever if we're all working together what do you get you not only get two oxen you get what was that star wars thing where they had the two jet engines and there's a little the pod racers thank Thank you. There's a scholar on Star Wars. Pod racers back there. I mean, we're just zooming. You know, we're just taking off. We're doing what we're supposed to do for the Lord. And we're to be encouraged by this. Like, okay, let's be all become pod racers. I'm bringing it up into the uh, vernacular of the day here. So faith makes us righteous. Faith allows us to be pleasing to God. Faith enables us to endure like Noah. Faith enables obedience to God like Abraham. First Noah. By faith, Noah, when warned about the things not yet, scene the flood the rain all of that in holy fear built an ark to save his family by his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith god told him it's going to rain he believed it built an ark and became saved and he became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith then there was also abraham 12 verses are devoted to abraham in this chapter more than anybody else by far It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. So God said, leave your family and go. He goes, where? Go. Where? All he heard was, go. Okay, I'm going. So he packed up. And he left. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. What would you do if God came up to you right now 
depending on your age. But if he came up to you right now and said, you're going to have a baby, would you go, all right? Or would you consider it, this is a curse, you know? Would you name the baby Laughter? Because that's what Sarah did, and that's why the baby's name was Laughter. Or would you say, I'm going to name you Mara, which is dark, which is foreboding, which is no good. Which would you do? Abraham, he goes, okay, according to what you say, Lord, I believe it. It's all right. And how old was he? Old. He was as old as dirt. I mean, he was just old. And he has his baby and Sarah too. And both of them were past childbearing years. And God said, I'm going to make sure you have one. And he believed. And this is good. They are held up as those who had faith, but also they had their own problems, right? It doesn't mean that because you have faith, you're not going to have issues. Now, if you remember the story, what did Sarah do because they didn't have children? Said, here, sleep with my handmaid. Oh, that's going to work out so well. Yeah. (laughs) You know, it just doesn't work. And the world looks for solutions like that as well. Let's just work things out according to our own wisdom and things will work out fine, right? I could go down that road. I'm not going to. Let's, let's go with verse 12. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised, the heavenly city which would come down, the new body and all that. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. The people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of a country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So God, this idea of God being ashamed of somebody when they refuse uh, to operate in their faith willingly, God was not ashamed to call these people their God, to be called their God. In other words, they were exercising their faith. By contrast, then who is God ashamed of? The person who doesn't exercise their faith. These people exercise their faith, and it's like Job. Have you considered my servant Job? I just went through the book of Job last week. Awesome book, just awesome. Anyhow, God was pleased with Job for the most part. At the end, he rebukes him. Stand up and you're going to listen to me and then you're going to answer. And Job goes, I'm sorry. You know, and, and then he goes, okay, but I forgive you. And he blessed him with double what he had. God was pleased with Job. God was pleased with Abraham, but they all had problems. Abraham lied. He told half truths. Sarah said, sleep with my handmaid. Job tried to justify himself. King David, a man after God's own heart, committed adultery, slept with Bathsheba. I mean, all these people had problems, right? But they were people of faith, even though they had these problems. So who is God ashamed of? Who does he say, you know, I'm, I'm really ashamed of you, is a person who will not go forward in their faith. Who, when they're given the opportunity, they simply say, no, I'm not going to do that. Instead of opening every door, if God presents to me a door, I'm going through it. 
And when I hit it, like those double doors back there, if I hit those doors and I slam up against them, I guess it was not an open door. But if I see a door, I'm going through it. Why? Because there might be a trial? No, because I'm operating in faith that God wants me to go through the door. So with all of us in here, if God presents to us a door of opportunity, you have the chance to do this, to exercise your faith. Don't say, no, I'm not going to do it. I like, I like smooth, you know, it's just all good. Remember tricycle? I like smooth, it's going to be just fine. God doesn't want us to do that. God wants us to build our faith. When that door of opportunity is there, let's go through it. Going on here. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead, and figuratively speaking, he did receive back Isaac from death. And this is in Genesis 22, verses 12 through 14. Going on in verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he... His end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instruction about his bones. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You see the progression that's going along here. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward by faith he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger he persevered because he saw him who was invisible and he met with God as a man meets faith to faith by faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel by faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. And so it was the faith of Moses that inspired literally millions that were out there. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, through the book of Judges, <clears throat> David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. Daniel quenched the, fur the fury of the flames, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. See, that's the point. You might have a better resurrection. I'm going to say it again. Tricycle, big old limo, miles long, angels trumpeting. This is our choice. We can choose to exercise our faith or choose not to. Some people will say, what will it cost me? Everything. It will cost you everything. And see, that's where the dividing line is. I don't want to give up everything. 
Well, God may not require you to give up everything, but you have to be willing to do so. If you do that, again, the rewards will be incredible. Some faced jeers and flogging, while others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the ground. And they were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us, they would be made perfect. These people are an incredible testimony of what can happen to someone, for someone who exercises their faith. It's time for personal examination here. Whenever you read something, you, you want to say, okay, how does this apply to me? What do you want me to do? First, God wants you to trust he wants you to trust him that everything is going to be fine. That he loves us so much that nothing that comes our way as believers is going to set us off the wrong way. Even Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith would not fail and the prayer was answered. Peter didn't walk away. Peter didn't apostatize. All of us in here probably know somebody who has apostatized who has gone away from the faith. There's a question, were they saved? Did they lose their salvation? Were they never saved? That type of thing, we don't know. But it's our time to examine our own faith. Number one, I'd ask you, are you growing? <clears throat> Yesterday, I met with Omar. And Omar wants to meet some more. Now, Omar is having problems getting me some prophecy from the book of the Quran. And... It, I said, you have to get me a list. I took a list for him, just 60 prophecies that had been fulfilled. I go, here you go. Here's 60 prophecies that have been fulfilled. And he's trying to understand what is the Old Testament? What is the New Testament? How does this Trinity work? Is Jesus God or is, is God the Father God? And who is this Holy Spirit? And he keeps on, he goes, I'm having a hard time with this. I said, I understand. I have a hard time with it too, which didn't help him at all. You know, but I, I'm trying to lead him along. I'm trying to give him a reason for the hope that lies within me and give him some faith that he can eventually come to believe in Jesus Christ. And I'm doing it by the veracity of scriptures as opposed to the veracity or the truthfulness of the Quran. And we're going to meet again. I told him it's going to be a couple of weeks for me before I can get there. But he wants to know. He, he's interested. And I feel we're arriving to a block. I feel the enemy's just coming in. He already talked to his imam, and his imam's from Ethiopia. And he goes, my imam, he, you know, he's good with all the rest of the Muslims, but he doesn't know much. He goes... Uh, I'll need you to talk to somebody. And so we're going to continue on that. But this idea of him coming to faith, and I know I'm right at the top of the hour here, I'm going to leave you with these two illustrations. Someone has written a father's influence to the world. Many years ago, a small Jewish boy asked his father, why must we surrender Jewish faith and start to attend Lutheran services here in Germany? The father replied, son... We must abandon our faith so that people will accept us and support our business adventures. The young lad never got over his disappointment and bitterness. His father or his faith in his father and in his religion were crushed. When the lad left Germany, 
He went to England to study at the British Museum where he formed his philosophies for life. From those intensive investigations, he wrote a book that changed the world called The Communist Manifesto. From the book, one third of the world fell under the spell of Marxist-Leninist ideology. The name of that little boy was Karl Marx. He influenced billions into the streams that for 70 years and up to today, by the way, imprisoned and confused many lives. Today, that system of thinking is crumbling. Well, in some places it is, but only after people got a good look at its tragic consequences. The influence of his father's hypocrisy multiplied in infamy. Without godly faith, all of us are subject to distortions in our perspectives. So here's a man who abandoned his faith in God and it influenced his son negatively. If we don't have a strong faith, we will influence people just as much as if we have a vibrant faith. And finally, this one. The story is told of a group of people in Kansas who after a long drought came together to pray for rain. As they met, they discovered only one young gal had brought an umbrella. She's the one with faith, right? We need to be umbrella carriers. We need to get out there and go, I'm expecting you to rain down on me, Lord. That's what we want. Heavenly Father, my prayer for all of us here is that we'd be able to walk in the newness of life as, as we are in your word. We'd have the faith to move mountains. Help us to be an influence like all of these people in the hall of faith. Help us to have a rich entry into kingdom. Help us to be constantly expecting that you are going to work. And help us to hold on to that and cultivate it, Lord, so you will be pleased with us when we enter heaven. And for those who are waning in their faith, I pray that you would strengthen them, that you would build them up, that you would bring along those who have endured trial after trial. And Lord, we know that you are faithful to do this, and we expect it. In Jesus' name, and the church said,